I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That is not suitable for kids like me. All right. Did you want to sing Everything is Awesome again? Do you want me to sing Everything is Awesome again? Now the moment's passed. (laughs) Messed that up, Diana. Well... Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we still know nothing about our legal system. Pre- pretty much nothing. But we are crazy for a good true crime story. Yay! Yay! I keep thinking if you wanted to sing again, there are some great transitions. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, you can't just plan singing. So... Welcome back. Thank you. I missed you guys. Uh, We missed you too. I mean, we did have some amazing people step up and co-host in your absence. We sure did. It was incredible. It was really great. But I'm really excited to be podcasting with you again. I'm excited too. Are Are you ready to podcast? Are you ready to like have this torture in your life again? I think so. I think I'm ready for it. Because, you know, after you do this episode, it's not like I'm going to let you have another break. I'm going to be like, no, nope, you were good. You're back. You have to keep going. Are you saying that we don't have unlimited PTO here on Crime Crazy? We do not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So, Diana, did you learn anything uh, this week or last week <laughs> or the week before the week before the week before the week? No, I'm just this month. This month? I've learned all sorts of useless shit, but the thing that I learned that I have been sitting on for like three weeks. I'm so excited. I am so excited. So Liam told me this. We were eating dinner one night. So Liam tells me this thing and I'm like, I think you're full of shit. And I looked it up and it's totally true and fascinating. So are you ready to have your mind blown? I am. Human beings. Yes. Are the only creatures on earth. Uh Uh-huh. That have chins. Wait. Now I have to think. That have chins. Mm-hmm. Like. So. How can that be a thing? It. What is a chin? I know what a chin is. But like, what is the <laughs> definition of a chin? Are you going Clinton era here? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So they're defining the chin as the bony protuberance, which okay. I'm not at all sure I said correctly. I think you did. <laughs> it was... um, 
from out from under the jaw. So if you picture like, like picture rubbing your cat's chin or your dog's chin, that's not a chin. That's the bottom of their jaw. But the bottom of our jaw is under our chin. I'm like molesting my chin to show you through the camera. (laughs) Through the camera and also behind the microphone. So still can't see. Right. Right. Yeah. Super, super helpful for everybody. So what you're saying is our skull juts out under our jaw and nobody else's does? Yeah. The only mammal or the only creature? Only creature. Okay. I gotta gotta think of a creature that... So, other primates... Nope. Their jaw must go in. Okay. What about... Yeah, I got nothing. No, that's it. It's just us. And they don't know why. I would, that was my follow-up question. Yeah, so there have been theories about, well, maybe it was because our diet was radically different than it started out. Um, but the way the chin works, that actually makes it harder for us to chew based on that. Or maybe it was to compensate for our brains getting bigger. Well, that's a stupid-ass place to do that. Yeah. Um, so the one that they said that I thought was interesting because they kind of dismissed it out of hand is maybe it was a sexually selected characteristic. Maybe the right. people with chins got more what have you. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But the rationale behind not thinking that that's it is sexually selected characteristics only happen in one gender or one sex, I suppose. Um, So, you know, like the bright plumage, maybe only the males have it, or maybe only the females have it, but they don't both develop it. Well, but that's in other animals. But what about in humans? Like symmetrical features or what else do we like in both men and women? That's really it. Because, you know, when you look at the, uh, I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so their thought was it's not sexually selected. So there doesn't seem to be any real reason that we have chins, but we do. Erin is totally feeling up her own chin I right really now. <laughs> am. I'm like, okay, how far does my chin bone? Because there's also like, like, there's there's meat on my chin. <laughs> there's a bone in there but then there's also a lot of tissue between like a lot more than is on my jaw or my cheekbone on on my chin yeah i think there's some cartilage maybe in there yeah it feels like tougher than yeah that's so weird it's because we wanted to have epic beards maybe that was it but gotta have a gotta have a chin for the good beards and then women i got nothing Bearded, bearded ladies Bearded ladies. I don't think there are enough bearded ladies for that to be an evolutionary trait. <laughs> Maybe not. Do we need to work on that? I mean, it would be convenient, right? If we could just all decide that beards and women was a beautiful trait. Well, I was getting my hair cut last week and the guy that cuts my hair. Hi, Alan. Um, just shaved his beard for the first time and I don't even remember how long mm-hmm. and immediately grew back stubble because he's like it's fucking cold out there I can't just have a naked face right. go outside. <laughs> David also looks like he's 12 when he shaves his but it has been years since he's done that yeah so well that is fascinating um, I have been sitting on it for weeks <laughs> yeah that's such a weird like 
Huh. Now I want to know why we have chins. Yeah, everybody does. I read there were a few articles when this study came out, but I read the one in the Smithsonian Magazine. And they were all just like, man, we don't know. That's just bizarre. Yeah. Is it, does it protect our teeth at all? Having bone that juts out further? Because I've also got cheekbones and a nose. Like, other than the sides of my face, I've got, if something hits me flat like this, <laughs> well, wasn't there I'm protected. Wasn't there something years ago that this study was something to the effect of that the human face was specifically designed to be punched? I mean, (laughs) I feel like that is accurate. Right. But I don't remember what it was. I don't think I even cared. But there was something that came out a few years ago that the human face is uniquely designed to handle a punch. I mean... So were our ancestors punching each other so much a that lot? this became a thing? Maybe. Uh, and so everybody who didn't have a chin shattered their jaws and couldn't eat and died. There and you go. Didn't have any babies. In all the punching. That's right. Maybe they were punching babies. Rude. <laughs> so, Erin. Yeah. Did you learn anything this week? I did. I did. <laughs> So, okay, I actually had like a whole bunch of things I had learned. Um, Our team was talking about tulips in our Slack channel this week. And I was like, I learned something about tulips. That's what I'm going to use. And then there was something else. And but then I have no idea how I came across this. Yup, I have absolutely zero (laughs) idea how I ended up on this article. But it was an article written by a goat. It wasn't really written by a goat. (laughs) Really? But there's a blog about, um, or it's actually, it's a website about like farm animals, like livestock. One of the regular authors is goat. So he doesn't spell very well, but um, I did fact check his information just in case. So here's what I learned. So it was an article about um, alpacas and llamas. And I learned that llamas and alpacas, but, you know, more importantly, alpacas do not, they have a really, really good control over going to the bathroom Okay. and they will not pee or poo in their stall, like ever, unless they get locked in there for days and days at a time. They always sort of go in the same place. So essentially they're like self housebroken. Mm-hmm. which in my mind translates to, even though we can't have a house goat, it sounds like we could have a house alpaca. It adheres to the rule of the Seacon household. Yes. That everyone takes care of their own ass. Yes. Ooh. It would do that. Also, my brother-in-law is allergic to them. That was my thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, um, then they come in like 30 different, like, registrable colors. Oh, my gosh. And, and, so, and a lot of them are like, um, like patterned. So you would have multiple colors. And I feel like if you had a multicolored house alpaca, then you could knit lots of things <laughs> because oh. you would already have different colors. I would never, like, go back to work, though. I mean, <laughs> so that doesn't benefit me very much. Um, no. But you do have a giant spinning wheel at the bottom of your stairs. So I'm just I saying, do. like, if you were going to have a house, your house is already ready for a house oh, alpaca. It, it totally is. That spinning wheel is uh, fully functional. 
I, I just I don't know like, how to use it, but we were assured it's fully functional. <laughs> I think Google and YouTube could help you out. Probably. Yeah. So, you know, just mm-hmm. just saying. Mm-hmm. They live like 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would their hooves mess up my floors? They are two-toed animals. They don't have hooves, technically. <gasps> oh. Yep. I'm just not seeing a downside. Mm-mm. They're also really good in a car. Like, you don't have to take them around in a trailer. You can stick them in the back of the car because they're not going to poop. They're just going to lie there. Also, they lie down when they're traveling like that. So, you don't even have to have, like, a an SUV. You could just put the seats in your car down and you could ride in the back. We could go on an alpaca road trip. Yes. Oh. And he wouldn't even poop in the car. And he wouldn't even poop in the car. This is amazing. Right? We just set up a pooping pen. Can they do stairs? I have no idea. But I feel like that's okay either way, right? If he could go upstairs, it's not like he's going to poop upstairs. And no, if I was he more can't... thinking about having like a pooping pen in the basement. But we've also oh. got the ridiculous bathroom. There's plenty of room for a pooping pen in there. That's true. That's true. Mm. I mean, or you could just let him out to poop. Well, like a dog. Cold out. Well, (laughs) so here's what you do, okay? You get him in the spring and you train, you put a bell on the door and he rings the bell and you let him out and that's fine all summer. That'll give him enough time to grow some alpaca wool and then you (laughs) knit him some leg warmers. (laughs) Yes. This is what needs to happen. I think it is. Oh man. Oh, and and their poo can be used for fertilizer without having to like let it sit or treat it in any way. It doesn't burn the plants. It's mild enough and nutrient rich enough that you can put it directly on your garden or your whatever. Okay, wait. Now I've learned something new. You have to do something to poop before you put... I am not a gardener. Let's just fully disclose this (laughs) shit. (laughs) So, like, you can't just throw poo down in your garden? No, a lot of animals, it's, like, too, I don't know, maybe acidic or something, and it burns the... It'll, like, scorch the plants, and then it'll kill them. And so you have to compost it. Oh. Yeah. But alpacas and llamas just goes directly on plants. You just have these beautiful plants. So yeah, that's what I learned. I'm just I I think that you might need to have an indoor alpaca. I I am going to deeply consider this. Um, so I wonder if anybody we know has an indoor alpaca. Cause I feel like we could use some stories. We need some anecdotes about how it really goes. Before if anybody you knows it. anything about an indoor alpaca, email us at crimcrazypodcast at gmail.com. It will be amazing. And tag us on Twitter because I'm going to need to see that shit. Yes. At Crime Crazy Pod. And Instagram at Crime Crazy Pod. That's what I meant was Instagram. not. Tw- I mean, you could also tag us on Twitter, but Instagram makes more sense. Yeah. Well, you can put pictures on both. Yeah. Okay. Well, but I- let's tell crime stories instead. Yay! Yay! All right. Are you ready? I am ready. So last time on Crime Crazy... <laughs> so the last time I was on, I was going to say last time on Crime Crazy, it was a story about a flag. I don't know if this is a story about a flag. No. So since we're doing our threads, Sorry. our threads this I'm year, just jump in and interrupt. You. No, that's good because I could not think of that word. 
So since we were doing our threads, um, one of the reasons that I picked the story that I did last time was because I thought I had a lot of jumping off points. So Mm -hmm. just to take you back a month or whatever it's been, um, the last story I did, I covered the murder of Carol Thompson in St. Paul, Minnesota. Right. Her husband, T. Eugene Thompson, was a lawyer. Yeah. And he was hired by a guy named Norman Mastrian to defend him against a murder charge. And in turn, T. Eugene hired Norman to kill his wife. Right. Norman outsourced that job to a guy that bungled it, but he still served 20 years for Carol's murder uh, after the longest trial in Duluth, which was about six weeks. So one of the reasons I picked that story was because I thought I had a few different jumping off points to keep it going for season four. But it turns out that the main characters in the case were mostly lost to history. So I went looking for more information about the murder of Eddie James, which was the murder that Norman Mastrian was accused of when he hired T. Eugene, thereby setting that whole thing in, Mm -hmm. in process. But there's nothing about that. And everything I read when I was researching the Thompson thing said, like, there was this very big sensationalized murder of a gangland figure, uh, this guy, Eddie James, who owned a bar or restaurant or something. And I thought, oh, great, that's going to be my next one. Mm. There's fucking nothing about the murder of Eddie James, except these mentions that he was picked up for the murder of Eddie James. Right. So that was a dead end. So one of the other things that stood out to me in this story was that the trial of Norman Mastrian was the longest in Duluth's history at that time. Mm -hmm. So I went and had a look to see whether or not that record had been broken since then. And it has by what is probably the most famous murder in Duluth history. So today, my friends, I'm going to tell you about the murders at the Glensheen Mansion. For my non-Minnesota friends, uh, Duluth is a city about two and a half hours north of the Twin Cities, right on Lake Superior. It's a shipping town uh, and is now a popular getaway location for folks in the Midwest. Chester Adgate Congdon was a lawyer for the Oliver Mining Company and made his fortune through that job and through investments in the Mesabi Iron Range in northern Minnesota. He was also a state representative from 1909 to 1913. In 1901, he made plans to build a grand home on the shores of Lake Superior in Duluth. And when it was completed in 1908, it was called Glensheen. The name came from the Congdon family origins. They were from the village of Sheen in Surrey, England, and from the forest surrounding the home. He also donated money to the city of Duluth so they could buy the land for and develop Lakeshore Drive, which uh, runs along Superior. And I think that's the road that Glensheen's actually on. Okay. Chester died in 1916, and his wife, uh, Clara, died in 1950. And in 1968, the estate was gifted to the University of Minnesota Duluth, who still owns it, with the stipulation that the youngest and last surviving Congdon child, Elizabeth, be allowed to live there until her death. Cool. Elizabeth Mannering Congdon was born April 22nd, 1894. She never married, but in her late 30s, she adopted two daughters, Marjorie and Jennifer. Marjorie was always the black sheep of the family. She was constantly asking her mother for money. In the late 1940s, she was diagnosed as a sociopath and she was institutionalized for a while. Uh, 
<laughs> and upon release, she married her first husband, Dick Leroy, and they had seven children together. Seven! That's a lot of children, especially a lot of children to have. Yeah, that's a lot of children. So all seven of their children were pretty spoiled. And most of the luxuries they enjoyed were supplied by Grandma Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. After 20 years, Dick and Marjorie divorced. And Marjorie married Roger Caldwell. Um, from the beginning, the two of them lived way beyond their means. They were deeply in debt. Uh, their house, their furniture, their cars had been repoed. And they were living in a motel in Golden, Colorado. In early 1977, Roger Caldwell traveled to Duluth to ask the Congdon trustees for $750,000 so that they could buy... Yes, that's the face I made. So that they could buy a horse ranch. Uh sorry yeah how about like fifty thousand dollars so that they could buy a place to live that's not a motel horse ranch yeah that's quite a step <laughs> like <laughs> we're tired of this motel we want a little more space we're thinking yeah. an entire ranch how about an entire ranch he uh even brought a note from their family doctor saying that their youngest child needed to live on a ranch for his health Wow. Yeah. How, how do you get a doctor that says that? Yeah, I don't know. Also, but they didn't, they didn't does, get the money. No, of course not. <laughs> then they asked for $500,000 to pay off their mountain of debts. Oh. They didn't get that. Okay. Then they asked for $250,000 to hire F. Lee Bailey to defend them against insurance fraud charges that had been brought against them. They didn't get that either. So was this just all for the purpose of negotiating? Like, look, I really need $10,000. So I'm going to start at $750,000. No, I think they actually needed the five hundred. <laughs> like, they literally, everything they owned had been repoed. They yeah. had mountains and mountains of debt. They were in all sorts of criminal charge troubles. Like, they legit needed a shitload of money. Yeah. But I think at this point, you know, Elizabeth was elderly. She's in her, I think, mid-80s at this point. They were always shitheads. Yeah. Um, and they were... I don't know if they were specifically trying to borrow against their future inheritance, but Marjorie knew that when her mom died, she was set to inherit $8.2 million. Oh. So she knew the money was there, you know? Yeah, but um, still, that's shitty. Right. And I, you know, I was thinking about this when I was writing this up, because my parents are, they do okay. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely borrowed money from my parents, but it's been like a couple thousand dollars because I needed surgery. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Not, I've asked you for money my entire life and right. now I've gotten myself in trouble and yeah. I need a horse I've, ranch. I fucked it up again note. and my new husband <laughs> would like a horse ranch. Right. Please be giving that to me, Mumsy. Yeah. So they they got no money. A little more than a week after the final request, Elizabeth's day nurse, Mildred Garvu, probably me messing that up, arrived for her shift at the mansion, and she was surprised to find the front door unlocked. Oh, God. She stopped in the kitchen to say hello to the cook, 
and then she made her way uh, to go upstairs. On the grand staircase, Velma, P- oh, Lord, Pitelli, Pitilla Velma, Velma, a nurse who had been with Elizabeth overnight, was sprawled out on the window seat. And as Mildred got closer, she could see that Velma was beaten, bloody, and dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Mildred I, ran upstairs to check on Elizabeth, who yeah. was also dead, in of her course. bed with the satin pillow that had smothered her still on her face. The room had been ransacked, and the ring and the watch that Elizabeth was wearing were gone, along with some other jewelry, an antique gold coin, and a wicker suitcase. They kept mentioning this wicker suitcase. That's weird. Also, wouldn't that just be a picnic basket? Kind of, yeah. Do you make a suitcase out of wicker? That seems like a terrible idea. Um, I do know that they used to make coffins out of wicker. So that everything would just decompose? Yeah. That's kind of nice, though. But a suitcase... Like, needs to be made of sturdier stuff. Well, yeah. So, but anyway, it's gone. Out of their problem anymore. Hmm. So, the night of the murders, Velma was filling in for the night nurse. She had actually retired uh, a little while before, but the night nurse had to be out, and Velma agreed to do this. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, She had checked in on Elizabeth before she went to bed, and during the night, someone broke a room in the billiards room. Is your billiards room secure, Erin? Uh, my billiards room is is so great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and on the lowest level of the house and then made his way to the second story. Velma heard him and confronted him on the landing of the stairs. She fought him. So he grabbed a brass candlestick holder and beat her to death. God. Once on the second story, the intruder found Elizabeth and held a pillow over her face. She was partially paralyzed from a stroke. That's why she had all the nurses mm. and unable to fight back. Well, plus she was like 80 something. Right. Also super old. Older than me. Uh, barely, but yes. <laughs> um, he gathered up the jewelry and the coin and the suitcase and left the house. He stole the nurse's car and drove to Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport. Hmm. And the next morning, workers at MSP found the keys and a parking ticket with a timestamp of 6.35 a.m. in the garbage can, which gave the person plenty of time to drive down from Duluth and catch a plane out. Mm-hmm. So three days after the murder, relatives from around the country came to Duluth for Elizabeth Congdon's funeral, including her daughter Marjorie and her husband Roger, who looked like he'd been beaten up. I was going to say, who had bruises, especially around his hands. Yeah, he was all messed up, but they told everybody he'd been kicked by a horse. Uh, on the ranch they don't own? Mm-hmm. At the hotel in Golden? <laughs> right. <laughs> so the story that went public uh, that the police had told people and that were in the papers were that Elizabeth and Velma had been murdered in a burglary gone wrong. I mean, that's but reasonable. It was. But when all of the relatives congregated and they heard the full story and kind of what had gone on, they actually asked the police to have a look-see at Marjorie and her husband, Roger. Wow. For the first time, the police were told about the marmalade incident in which Elizabeth had eaten some marmalade that Marjorie had made from scratch, became violently ill. And in the hospital, the doctors were unable to explain the large amounts of tranquilizers in Elizabeth's blood. Oh, my God. The jar was, was never it? found, and the police were never contacted. 
These sorts of things became important for the police to know because this was 1977 and forensics were. Yeah. Mm. Not, not great. Not so good. So blood and hair were cataloged from the scene. But at that time, all they could do is look at your hair and look at the hair from the scene and be like, I mean, maybe. Right. This is blood (laughs) and you have blood. So probably guilty. Um, There were no fingerprints left at the scene. No way to show who the hair and the blood belonged to. But there was other evidence. Like the handwritten will dated three days before the murder in which Marjorie signed over 2.5 million of her expected $8 million inheritance from her mother to Roger and the recently denied requests for money and the envelope that was sent to Roger in Colorado, which seemed to be addressed in his own handwriting containing the Byzantine era coin, like the one taken from Elizabeth's bedroom postmarked from Duluth the day of the murders. Um, yeah, that just, wow. Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, but wait, there's more. There was the jewelry at the Caldwell's hotel room that was strikingly similar to that taken from Glen Sheen. But Marjorie just told the police that she and her mom had lots of identical jewelry. If that was the only thing, I would be okay with that explanation, but... Right, but then, while they were searching the hotel room in Colorado, they also found the receipt for a bag that Roger uh, was known to carry that he bought at MSP. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yeah, real real dipshit. So, based on this evidence, Roger Caldwell was arrested two weeks after the murders. And because the Congans were a pretty big deal in Duluth, the trial was moved to Brainerd, Minnesota. Ten months after the murders, the jury was selected. It took three weeks to seat 12 people that weren't biased. And the eight-week trial commenced. There were more than 500 pieces of evidence produced and 109 witnesses were summoned. After two and a half days of deliberation, the jury convicted Roger, and he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences with a minimum of 35 years behind bars. So, emboldened by this conversation, prosecutors decided to go after Marjorie, too. They didn't think that she had physically had anything to do with the murder, and they Mm -hmm. could place her in Colorado at the time. Like, she was definitely not there. Right. But Roger was generally an unambitious shithead that liked the bottle and didn't know anything about Duluth. Mm -hmm. So they figured Marjorie was behind this whole thing. So Marjorie hired big shot lawyer Ron Meshbesher. And any Minnesotan will recognize his name and face from the many, many, many years of television commercials. Uh, I also found out he just died last year. He must have been old as shit. Okay. (laughs) Um, Her trial was moved to Hastings. And Meshbasher, um, having ha- full access to the documents from Roger's trial, in addition to some additional information that came out, did a masterful job of defending her, uh, insisting that Roger had acted alone in the murder. Hmm. Marjorie also did a pretty interesting job of defending herself by acting like she wasn't some sort of criminal mastermind. She would knit at the defense table right during the trial. She always had a book right there with her. She'd smile at the jurors. She'd chat with the reporters and the spectators. And on Ron Meshbesher's birthday, she brought a cake into court for him. Okay, that doesn't make you seem less guilty. You're on (laughs) trial for your life for the murder of your mom? 
Like, oh, it worked great. So that trial lasted six weeks, and the jury deliberated for 10 hours before finding her not guilty. And after the verdict was read, some of the jurors came forward to hug her. Oh, okay. See, no. Mm -mm. Yeah. You got to be smarter. No. So based on Marjorie's acquittal, Roger appealed his conviction. And in August 1982, the Minnesota Supreme Court overturned his conviction and ordered a new trial. Wait. No. Wait. No. (laughs) (laughs) He was also released. Well, um, Meshbesher was able to discredit a couple pieces of the evidence that were used to put him away. So he had bases for an appeal. Yeah, but I just don't even understand why they needed all of that trial to begin with. Like, he didn't do a good job of covering up. Oh, no, he did a terrible he job. been in prison. But, like, that should have been a no-brainer. Right, but never at any point pled guilty. Yeah, but still, I that yeah. just... Ugh. Yeah. He was... Uh, so the Minnesota Supreme Court overturned his conviction, ordered a new trial, and he was released after five years in prison. But back in Duluth, the authorities found themselves in a pickle. They didn't want to retry him. Uh, there was new evidence. They didn't think that they could win it anymore. Uh, the trial would be very expensive, and some of the witnesses had died while he was in prison. And they were worried that if he was not convicted, then the city's biggest murder case would be technically unsolved, and that was not going to fucking sit in Duluth. Everything in town is named after these people. So right. everybody wanted there to be right justice for this. So they offered Roger a deal. One additional year in prison if he made a full confession. At this time, he was back living in his hometown of Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and he held out for a better deal. Eventually, he agreed to plead guilty to the murders if he served no additional jail time. He returned to Duluth, confessed in court, giving the entire story of the murders with no remorse. I'm so mad right now. Oh, yeah. So once back in Pennsylvania, Roger didn't do so good. He was fat. He was an alcoholic. He was on welfare. He was living above a bar, surviving on $186 per month. At one point, he contacted the Congdon family, saying that he'd provide evidence that others were involved in the murders for a price. Mm. But when they asked for proof of that evidence and he couldn't show it, the family declined to pay for anything. In 1988, he died by suicide and there were nine people at his funeral. I feel like that's a generous number of people at that funeral. Yeah. Near his body, police found a suicide note in which he proclaimed that he didn't kill those girls or, to my knowledge, ever harm a soul in my life. But that became harder to believe when the police discovered that his current girlfriend was in the hospital with a broken collarbone, having been badly beaten. (sighs) Well, and the fact that it's just stupid anyway, because of course he did it. Yeah, he did it. Marjorie is still alive. And in her late 80s, the Glensheen murders weren't the end of her troubles with the law. But that's a story for a different day. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just like it seemed pretty obvious. I realize that you're telling it from a certain perspective and like we have time and and but. Right. But even though I mean, it sounded like. I could just picture it from a couple of these articles. Like the police have gathered all the relatives up. They're all in Duluth for this funeral, gathered them up and tell them what, and they all look at each other and they're like, 
it was probably Marjorie. (laughs) The whole family knows exactly what the fuck happened there. God. They should have reported the poisoning. I can't imagine why. I mean, maybe, maybe Elizabeth was just like, no, like we can't do that to her. Like maybe, or maybe she didn't believe that she had done anything. You know, she was very, you know, she was elderly at that point too. Yeah. That's yeah. But apparently like when he did the confession, like he told the whole story and even to the point where he was talking about, yeah, I ran into Velma on the stairs and she was making a big fuss. So I shut her up. Like just callous. Right. Well, and so, yeah, that makes the suicide note even less believable. Like, well, um, in the you gave lots of details, actually. And... Right. Yeah. No, we we know it was you. Yeah. <sighs> I'm mad. Yeah. But you know what this means? What? We got to go up and see Glen Sheen. Well, of course. Yeah. I've never been. I sent you pictures the last time I was up in Duluth. Yes. Oh, was that but... what that was? Yeah, that's what that was. Oh, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a beautiful day. It is a beautiful place. It is right on the lake. The house looks right out on it. It's just, it's beautiful. But I was there too late to get a tour. So I've still only seen the outside. Well, road trip. That's a doable road trip too. That's not too far. Oh, no, that's a day. There and back. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. No, I'm mad now. And I don't want to tell my story because my story also makes me mad. Oh, no. It doesn't make me as mad as it made David when I told him about it earlier. And he was like, what? That prosecutor should be fired. What were they? (laughs) He was so mad. I was like, honey, this is every story we tell goes like this. Right. If people did a good job, we wouldn't have a show. Right. Have I not explained to you about the true crime podcasting like world? Right. <laughs> also documentaries and shows and yeah. Yeah, there's a whole thing. All right. So I have a story Yay. that also picks up a thread. So my story from two times ago, I don't know what the one from three times ago was, so I can't I can't take the thread that far back. But two times ago, it was it was the woman whose boyfriend was committing suicide and he texted her essentially like a cry for help. And yeah, yeah, instead of helping him, she talked to him like she basically bullied him into killing himself. She just got sentenced, sentenced, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So sort of going on that theme of texting crimes, last week I told the story about the woman who met the guy on a dating app um, called Luxie. No, maybe it's Luxie. It's something like that. And... Um, <laughs> But it was it's a dating app for people, mostly people who make just shit tons of money. Like of the people whose income is verified through the app, like forty percent of them are millionaires. Is is this where I'm going to find a sugar daddy? Well, so their site specifically says that that is not what it's for, but then mm. why are you verifying <laughs> income on your dating app? So yeah, so she this woman met a CEO on this site and they she thought they hit it off they had a date he wasn't interested um and so she texted him like 50,000 times <gasps> and oh oh my god 
I think I saw this when it came out. Her mugshot, she's like happy as fuck, right? Oh, yeah. Well, she's just like, yeah, not concerned. She's a little crazy. But also a lot of her text messages were things like, I want to drink your blood or bathe in your blood and crack your skull and use your fingers as chopsticks and like all kinds of weird shit. Good God. Yeah. So, which apparently she thought was funny. It was just supposed to be a joke. Either way, not not okay. That's, that's like, you got to know somebody for a while before you start pulling those ones out. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe don't at all. Yeah. You got to know your audience on that one. Right, right. Yeah, it does really depend on, I guess, I'm wearing blood spatter leggings, so. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I could have ever said that to Jeff I, with a straight face. I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I just don't. You know what would have happened is I would have been like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna use your finger as chopsticks, and he'd be like, "You can't use chopsticks. I've seen you try." <laughs> David and I both had the same concern, which was that when you look at like the bone structure of a hand. How the fuck are you going to do that? Those are really short bones. I mean, I have very large hands. It doesn't matter. Your finger bones are only about this long. Well, that is true. Otherwise, they wouldn't bend. So they would be really stupid chopsticks. They would be be. as fat as they are long. Like the bones. It wouldn't matter because I still can't use chopsticks to save my life. (laughs) Either way, (laughs) the thread I took from that story... Is dating apps. Ooh. So I have a story about a dating app. And as you can imagine, it didn't go well. Huh. Right? You know, I met Jeff online. Mm-hmm. But before that, there were a lot of dating app dates that didn't go well. But I'm guessing not as spectacularly not well as you're about to tell me. No, no, not, not as not well. I, I feel like So this is sort of a two-part story, like there are two crimes in it. And one of them, I know for a fact, you never had a date go this poorly. The other one, I feel like I would have heard about. (laughs) So Okay. So the first person in the story is a 20-year-old college student who was using the app Tinder. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah, so is my college-age son. Okay. (laughs) So. She met someone on Tinder that she she decided that she liked or at least wanted to like meet up with. And mm. his name, Shane Stephen Allen. But what's his last name? Allen. But what's his last name? Still <laughs> He's Allen. got three first names. I know. Shane Stephen Allen. It's a good thing that his name is not Allen Stephen Shane or Allen Shane Stephen. Right? Because if we're going to go initials, SSA is way better. Uh, I didn't even get that far. (laughs) It's like, wait, what does it matter? They're all (laughs) perfectly good first names. (laughs) True. We just have to be careful about the order. Yeah. So she had gone on a date with Alan, and she, which now I'm going to think of him as his first name, Alan, but with Shane. And I guess the date was fine because a little while later, she decided to go on another date with him. So on a Tuesday afternoon, he picked her up at her sorority house because, as I said, she's a college student. She's 20 years old, but she lives in the sorority house, hasn't graduated yet. And he took her over to his home, 
which was a trailer. And she like did homework and then some of his friends came over and they hung out and it was just kind of a nice time, right? Mm -hmm. Except that he started to do drugs or at least she thinks that he started to do drugs. Like there wasn't any clear evidence, but um, except like a history of drug use and the fact that he started to act crazy. And he (laughs) accused her of flirting with one of his other friends and that pissed him off. So he punched her in the eye. Oh my. Yep. And that escalated quickly. Yes. And then he continued to beat her face up a little bit. Uh, and then decided that like, now she couldn't go home because people might think that he'd hurt her. Which he had. Which he had. So he needed to stay or she needed to stay at his trailer until the the bruises started to fade, I guess, so that no one would know that he had hurt her. So she wasn't allowed to leave. Only over the next six days, he continued to beat her constantly. And so she does survive. (sighs) And uh, later they when she was talking about this, she said she was pretty sure it was always when he was on meth, like his behavior would change noticeably and then he would beat her. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those, like you can't blame the drugs, but at the same time it was drug related, but he also chose to do it. Like he's still at fault. He's still a terrible right. shit human being for all of it. So he beat her really, really terribly. Uh, He did something to her ankle and it was so swollen and bruised and sore that she couldn't walk on it. So she couldn't have escaped anyway. At Mm. one point, he knocked her down or he like choked her, knocked her down to the ground, put his knee on her throat until she passed out, like nearly killed this woman. Oh, my God. For six days. At the end of the six days, They had talked enough, I guess. She had convinced him that she would go home and put tons of makeup on to cover up all of the facial bruises, which then looking at her condition when she actually leaves, there's no way that makeup would have covered it up. And that she would not tell anybody what had happened and she would never call the cops. And he bought that and he let her go. He actually drove her back to her sorority house. And was nobody looking for her for six days? Was she not in contact with anybody? Um, it, so it's not clear. This was in 2016 and the sort of follow up to all of this is more extreme. So there wasn't a lot of detail on this crime, which is awful. Uh, but whether or not they were looking for her, like nobody found her. So, wow. I don't know. I can't imagine the rest of the sorority unless she was just a flake or, well, but, and this like, was normal behavior for her. I can't imagine her sorority. Like my only experience with any of that is that my sister's in a sorority. And if she was gone for two hours, we would get a call. Like they are tight knit and always together. Well, and what about like her parents? You know, even in college, if I didn't talk to my parents in six days, they probably would have called the cops looking for me. Yeah. Um, you know, well, did she have class? Did she have a job? So some of that is actually explained because he would have her get on Facebook and send people messages that she was fine and she'd be home in a few days. And like, so she hadn't totally disappeared. Okay. But she wasn't seen in all of that time. She didn't go to class in all of that time. I don't know if she had a job, but she obviously didn't show up for that. Right. So. Wow. So he takes her back. And of course, she does not 
cover up her bruises. She had two black eyes. She had like she'd been beaten all around her jaw. She her whole face and like head was swollen. Her ankle was swollen. Her neck was swollen and bruised. She had scrapes and abrasions on her legs and her feet. Like basically just every inch of her he had attacked. Yeah. For six days. Can you imagine how hopeless you would feel? Like the fact that he took her back at all is just amazing to me. Oh yeah. She she's not lucky, but in a way, like that is just insane. Well, she's smart that she was able to convince him. Yeah. Yeah. So then, because this is a a true crime podcast and if things didn't go this way, we wouldn't have stories to tell, he struck a deal, <sighs> pled to a lesser charge, which I feel like it should have been kidnapping and drug use and attempted murder oh, no. and blah, 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 um, and got sentenced to... Uh, suspended sentence of 27 months so a couple of years of probation oh my god yep there were other terms of his probation like he wasn't allowed to use dating apps anymore Mm. yeah and uh not allowed to use math like that's kind of important i mean i feel like that's a general rule for all of us it is but he also had to have drug tests he had to comply with any and all psychiatric treatment he had to um, you know show up for his like probation meetings and all of this kind of stuff he didn't do any of that no goodness why would he no so in the next two years he didn't show up for most of his meetings he used meth constantly he was obviously still on dating apps because of the story i'm going to tell you in a minute he he didn't comply with any recommendations from doctors or psychiatrists just totally ignored all of it but that seemed to be fine with everybody i'm i'm not fine with that i agree i don't feel fine with that either and even though his victim had made a victim impact statement and essentially said that this had completely like ruined her outlook on life and she didn't ever feel safe anymore and she couldn't sleep and she had you know like major injuries and blah 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 it's still all of this he it was just probation and not even a good checkup on that until 2018 in april so about a year ago he had met another woman online, this time on meetme.com, which is not something I'm familiar with. Mm-mm. And I don't think I'll become familiar with it. No, probably not. Yep. Uh, Sabrina Frock. So she drove out to see him. She left late on a Wednesday night. She was a nurse, and so she had to wait till she got off work. Sure. She drove out to see him at his home. Her mother didn't hear from her and was concerned, like pretty much right away. But two days later, she called her mother and she said, "Um, you know, I just called to let you know I'm okay. I'll be home tomorrow. I wanted to let you know I love you. I'll talk to you later. But was it was kind of a weird message for her. Like she called and spoke to her mom and she wouldn't answer any questions. So it was a, a strange phone call. It was also, it was like at noon, it was like 1130. Then the next day on April 29th, 
mom is asleep and cops knock on her door to tell her that her daughter had been found, that medical personnel had been called out to the home and she was there and she was very badly beaten and they were airlifting her to the Kansas hospital, university of Kansas hospital in Kansas city. She had brain surgery, but never regained consciousness. And on May 1st, she passed away. So where we stand now is that her death obviously considered suspicious as she was beaten to death, Mm -hmm. which is suspicious. She was found at Alan's house. That's where the call came to and where medical personnel went and picked her up. Um, (sighs) But no charges have been filed. They are, I guess, still investigating. He, Alan had to go in for a, um, like a probation hearing essentially because he had been violating his probation. He expected to be let out and instead he was remanded because of all of the many, 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 many violations against the terms of his, his probation of his suspended sentence. So he could face up to 27 months in prison on the original charges on plea deal for violating his probation. So at the very least, I would imagine that they'll be able to convict him on all of those violations because he even admitted that he had used meth, that he had not complied with the doctors. His lawyer tried to get him released again, at least pending a trial uh, based on the fact that he had a blue collar job and wasn't going to be able to, like he was going to lose income if he went to prison to await trial boohoo uh and also you're not going to need that job after that tries trials yeah it's not not that big of a deal at this point yeah um also that he was supposedly going weekly or maybe bi-weekly to some sort of rehab treatments and he was going to increase that to daily and then in a couple of weeks he was going to be checked into an inpatient program as soon as like i guess he could get a spot or whatever else and and so he should you know be let go again and they were like uh yeah no we're not doing that again you killed somebody last time we did this so he is in jail awaiting trial on the probation violations he has not been charged with the murder Sabrina's mom, whose last name is Slaughter, she is absolutely convinced that he did it. She knew that's who Sabrina was going to go visit. She, you know, knew that she Mm -hmm. was there. That's where they found her. So, I mean, hopefully they can put all of that together this time. I can't imagine there's no DNA. Like, it seems like if you beat somebody. In his house and it was just the two of them there? I, yeah, I don't know if there was anyone. Why didn't they arrest him when they showed up? He says it was an accident. And mom says there's no way in hell that it was an accidental death. Like she was obviously beaten, but she never woke up. And so she wasn't ever able to confirm that. So I guess now there has to be an investigation. Well, if there had been an autopsy, that would have proven that she was fucking beaten to death. So there has been an autopsy, but none of that has been released yet. Mm. Is it still an ongoing investigation? I mean, I guess there's a small chance that she went over there and everything was fine. And then she like fell down 14 flights of stairs in his trailer and died. But I'm going to go with he should have been locked up the first time. And then there wouldn't have been a second time. (sighs) Now I'm mad. 
right? This whole episode has pissed me off, Diana. What are we doing? <laughs> how how can we carry these strings in such a way that next week is is a lot more fun? <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. It's like a double challenge. It is a double challenge. So that is my delightful story. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh man. Greatest country in the world. Right? Mm. I, yeah, I don't know. I know that there is more to a trial than like the ideal of we bring all of the evidence and these unbiased, intelligent people look at it and then the right person goes to jail. Like I realize there are politics and there is money and there is time and there's overcrowding in prisons and there's a lot of other factors, but it just sucks when you look at these cases and you know what should happen and it didn't happen. Well, and when you see that kind of pattern of behavior, yeah, abusers abuse. Yeah. It's what they do. Adult <sighs> women who try to murder their moms, murder their moms. <laughs> right. Yeah. <sighs> so... Next week, we'll go a little happier somehow. Okay. Maybe I'll find a cannibal. <laughs> Those always end well. <laughs> yes, they I, always end well. <laughs> All right. So I know you're, you're done listening to binge mode. I have finished binge mode, which I said with entirely too much joy because actually I was absolutely crushed and totally lost <laughs> for a couple of days. Plus, it doesn't help that like it ends sad right like yeah it ends sad there's the battle of hogwarts everybody dies there's the shitty epilogue and then all they had left to talk about was cursed child which is utter bullshit and like <laughs> it's really depressing diana <laughs> so, <laughs> i have feelings <laughs> feelings so what have you been listening to I have been listening to something else. So you and I were asked to do a, a little side project for another podcaster who's also a mm -hmm. fan of ours. So Jim and actually Kit. Kit Karen? Yes. I always mm -hmm. want to call her Kit Kat Karen. Karen. But my yep. cat's name is Kit Kat. It's just very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> so Kit Karen the human. <laughs> Kit Karen the human who is not Kit Kat the cat. Um <laughs> So they they do a podcast. I think it's actually technically Jim's podcast, but it's called Forgotten News. The thing that we were asked to do was to narrate a couple of different things. So there's a phrase that gets repeated in every podcast that he has a different guest come on and say that phrase. And then there is a segment of his podcast, too, that is old, old crime blotter style um, little articles. And he has somebody narrate reading those. So I listened to this most recent episode uh, mostly because I was on it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but also because, like, both of them are just amazing human beings and mm. amazing podcasters. And so the episode that I listened to was about Black History Month. And it was fascinating. And the format of their podcast is very cool because they pick, they have a couple of segments. And the first segment they pick like a, a story or a topic or whatever to tell. And they talk about it a little bit. And then they have a guest narrator come on and read a lengthy like article or book excerpt or whatever. So mm -hmm. they had someone come on and read an article. And it was 
brilliant and it, the narrator was excellent and then they talked about it and then they um they had their like forgotten news crime blotter segment which i read for this one so if you guys wanted to listen to even more of my voice because you're like masochistic (laughs) or whatever i think it is episode what's called slavery in disguise and it's in 1893 so the episode topic not the crime blotter topic which was just from that time period, it was random crimes that were in the newspaper. But the episode topic was about how after the Civil War and like the emancipation of all of the slaves, that they just found another way to enslave everybody, which was through the criminal justice system. So like the whole episode really spoke to me. <laughs> right? yeah. It was really on on point for for my tastes. So yeah, it was just really good. It was very well put together. It was very well researched. Um, They both have a really unique like podcasting style that I think is fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. So that's the one that I listened to and left a review for this week. Yay. Yeah. And shout out to Jim and Kit because you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Have you listened to anything? Okay, I haven't. I think uh, that's okay. We'll give you a uh, Well, I was binging on the dollop, and I actually had to pause, because we are a shit people, yeah. and I got tired of hearing so much about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my mother recommended a podcast to me yesterday. I would like to point out that my mother does not listen to podcasts. She is not real sure what they are. But she did call me yesterday to tell me that Ron Burgundy has a podcast that I should probably be listening to. (laughs) Now, is this because she heard somewhere that Ron Burgundy has a podcast or is it because she's been listening to it? No, because she heard that Ron Burgundy has a podcast and figured that would be right up my alley, which it probably is. But so she's telling me about it. I'm like, you know... I can make it so you can listen to podcasts. And she's like, yeah, I probably won't. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Say, okay, well, what about radio shows? Would you listen to a radio show? Did she you know wouldn't. that you can download radio shows on your phone? Yeah, she doesn't listen to the radio. She's an HGTV gal. Oh. I got nothing. Maybe vlogs. Yes. All right. So, I have left a review you're going to listen to a new podcast and leave a review. I yes. was talking to another podcaster today and we have already exchanged our favorite episodes so that we can listen and give feedback and reviews. Um, Excellent. People should come review us. They should because we don't have any new ones. We don't have any new ones. Mm-mm. What a bummer. Guys, you're letting us down. It only takes two seconds. I know. Just a, just, just a little review. Right. Just five stars. These guys are awesome. Period. That's it. And then we'll check it out. That's it. It's real easy. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, if you wanted to be more creative, like a haiku, that would be awesome. Ooh. You know, if you have more than two seconds, but either way. <laughs> so where can they leave us a review, Diana? Oh my goodness. Like everywhere. So first of all, before I tell you all about reviews, I would like to tell you that Crime Crazy is sponsored by David Hatt and Seb Bryce. Thank you. Thank you. Show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. And are some of our favorite people. 
Yay! Uh, so Dave Hat, who is the uh, Patreon supporter, is roommate Dave that I've talked about a few times, and he will be joining us at the end of the month. And I met him and confirmed he is an actual human being. <laughs> he is an actual human being. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We are recording for the first time in March. So I want to do a shout out to all of our patrons. So thank you to Brian. And I believe new this month, Jess Lee. Hey, Jess. Woohoo. Uh, Patty Peg. So thank you, everybody. And of course, our sponsors, Dave and Seb. Thank you. If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, please check out our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or just search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show in addition to uh, all of the cute little bonuses that we have there. You can also make a one-time donation if you're not uh, into like the monthly thing. That's cool. You can just throw a little in the tip jar. All right. So shout outs. If you'd like to receive a shout out on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. We give shout outs for all reviews. It's true. But, you know, we really prefer five star reviews. So just do that. If you would, that'd be great. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash crimecrazypod. And from there, catch up on the conversation by joining one of two of the Crime Crazy groups. You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Crazy Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Crazy Pod. Visit our website at crimecrazypodcast.com or email us at crimecrazypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. On Twitter, you're at Aaron Pine. <laughs> I'm at Diana underscore Seacon. Follow us on Instagram, you're at E Pline. And I'm at Diana underscore Seacon. I really should just make mine the same too. That I wouldn't have to remember which one is which. Every <laughs> which one is which. <laughs> That's why I had to write it down. Yeah. <laughs> so, Diana, I know, I know you had a lot of like catching up to do, but do you think you learned anything? Do you have any advice for us this week? Mm. So, if you're gonna try to talk somebody into buying you a horse farm, there's no need to get doctors involved. No, because that's just weird. Yeah. And I don't know. They said it was for his asthma. I don't know that being around a bunch of furry horses is the best thing for a kid with asthma. Not in the least. And actually, it's funny because I am not allergic to horse. I'm not allergic to any animal as far as I know. But mm -hmm. when I used to do horse camp with my friend Jennifer, I could not go in the barn because of the hay. I couldn't oh. breathe. There's no way a child with asthma should be in a horse ranch. No, seems like a super bad idea. Yeah. So. Bullshit. Utter bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit on that one. Bullshit on that one. Call your people. Call your people. If they don't come home after a couple of days and they went on a date with a guy from Tinder, call them. Call your people. Call your people. Hug your people. Yes. And don't end up on next week's episode unless you're me because i'm going to come back next week for the episode Woohoo! <laughs> but not in a crime capacity no probably not i've got a busy week planned We were at Target the other day, and there was a screeching baby 
And uh, I turned to Liam and I said, that is the sound of why you have no siblings. And he rolled his eyes and said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're talking. There we go. You know those grass seed spreaders? Like the... That you put in, you like push them around and they have the spinning wheel. I wonder if alpaca poop is small enough that you could just put it in one of those. <laughs> well, then you could just train the alpaca to hang its bum over the, that the bin there. That would be so convenient. <laughs> that would be so convenient. I mean, if we're going to do that, you should just teach him to back himself up over the toilet. Oh. Although then you don't have the fertilizer, I guess. Well, I suppose. We have spent 15 minutes talking about alpaca shit. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. 